Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first year initiatives. Thank you all so much. Um, We are very, very thrilled um, to have with us today um, a team from the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee's campus. Uh, They were featured in the Chronicle of Higher Education last month. Um, And the Chronicle's title was sort of this idea of a trauma-informed response to uh, the fall 2021 semester. Um, And they're gonna walk us through kind of what that means because it's a little more nuanced than perhaps, you know, a quick um, headline as I think we all know um, can provide for us. So um, I'm gonna introduce our, our, our guest here in just a second. Do want to let folks know that we've got some upcoming episodes. Um, September 24th, we're kicking off a leadership series um, in honor of our dear friend and colleague, uh, Denise Sweat. Denise is a, has been a, a longtime contributor to um, Innovative Educators um, Resources, um, Professional Development, and um, is a, a beloved colleague. So we're honored to um, have this leadership discussion um, to celebrate her work. Um, and then October the 8th, we've got Phil Hill and Kevin Kelly um, from who do a weekly newsletter regarding um, ed tech in higher education. And they're gonna talk with us about what does the future of higher ed look like? And I think that'll be an interesting discussion um, as well. I'm gonna condense your bios um, in a little bit, sorry, um, to do that. Cause you all three of you have done remarkable work, um, but we're delighted to have with us um, uh, Scott Gronert, from, um, who's the Dean of the College of Letters and Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, um, as well as a professor, um, and appreciate you being here today, Scott. Thank you so much. Um, we've got Adam Jussel. I realized I've not practiced pronouncing people's last names. Um, Adam is a, the Dean of Students, um, and also um, Blessum has a JD as well, which we know can be very important in that role um, these days. So uh, fantastic uh, resource for us as well. And Dimitri, Dimitri, I'm sure I will not pronounce your name correctly. You want to cop on and tell us? Topitsis. Topitsis, um, who is a professor of social work and um, really has an interesting lens that he's brought um, to this conversation that we're going to get to have. So just as a reminder to our listening audience, if you have any questions, always I provide a list of questions um, to guide our conversation today, but we really love hearing from you all. So feel free, um, put your questions in the chat um, as our conversation evolves and I'll weave those um, into our discussion. Um, So thank you all um, for taking time out of your very busy schedules. Um, Day six, week two um, at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, but who's counting, Um, and and taking time to share with us kind of your approach to this year. So you'll find um, our our PowerPoint does have uh, slides, has links out to that Chronicle piece. Um, Adam, I've also linked out to um, your website that you shared with us um, too, so folks have those as resources. So, you know, in in the piece in the Chronicle of Higher Ed, it really focused on kind of this trauma-informed approach um, to the school year, but there's really a cohesive vision um, that I'm just in awe of, um, looking at how to start um, this 2021-2022 year. And we'd love to hear from you all, kind of where did this concept originate from? And, And Adam, when we spoke earlier, you kind of talked about pillars 
of a program um, and sort of what are the pillars of this approach to um, an, an academic year? You know, I'm, I'm not calling it post-pandemic. I'm curious what you all, uh, the language you're using at your institution. So Adam, I'll kick it to you first and then others can hop on. That sounds great. Thank you, uh, Meg. Um, uh, thanks everyone for having us today. I'm excited to share this information um, and, and hopefully learn uh, some things along the way. Uh, one thing that you, I hope you hear from us today is that uh, we're very much in the iterative stage of what this looks like, um, but, but that is both exciting um, and, and somewhat uh, um, not solidified yet. So what I hope you hear from us today is that we, we don't have everything figured out yet. We're still, we're still kind of navigating the processes and, and sorting out um, feelings. Um, but that all being said is, is where this started um, was back in the spring of, of last year. Um, and, and really it was, we were hearing the Dean of Students office a lot of um, uh, kind of conflicting and overlapping feelings about um, online learning, returning to fall, summer, um, et cetera, just stress and distress, which isn't uncommon in the Dean of Students office. But one thing we were really noticing um, is that not only was that stress and distress heightened um, and arriving earlier in the semester than we would anticipate, um, but it also was kind of comorbid with this feeling of loneliness and disconnection. And not surprising amongst our students, they missed, they missed their campus. They missed being around other people, um, physically connecting with others um, in a way that you can't, you can't mimic or, or it's challenging to mimic in, on, mimic in an online uh, presence. Um, and so Dean Groner was hearing the same thing. And, and really, this is just kind of one of those fortuitous things in higher ed is that I don't even remember. <laughs> he, we somehow got connected. Um, and I don't remember how that happened. Um, Someone uh, probably smarter than me thought, "Hey, these two these two folks are talking about the same thing," and and really that's where this all originated. Was back in it was March of last year, um, so we've been we've been thinking about this critically since that time. Um, so, Dean Grotter, I don't know if you have any. I'm I'm interested in your version of that story um, as well. Thanks, Adam, and thanks uh, for having the opportunity to. Uh, to share this today. The, um, so in my role, I was, or I have been leading what we call our scenario planning work group, which uh, uh, mainly is focused on logistics of uh, whether, or what our modalities would be uh, and accommodations for students on the academic side. And as part of that, we were doing survey work each semester from students and, uh, and most semesters also faculty and staff. And uh, along with, again, trying to figure out how, to how the campus should run, we saw these comments from students that were just, uh, in the survey work, uh, heartbreaking about lack of community, loneliness, I came to college, I have no friends, uh, these sorts of things. And then within the faculty and staff, similar kinds of sense of, of disconnection mm. was going on. And so, uh, our group coming out of that um, had a set of recommendations, you know, based on how uh, for campus operations, but also charged uh, uh, the campus with trying to address this and try to rebuild community. Um, and it was viewed as probably best a connection between academic affairs and student affairs. And so uh, 
I, I wore the hat of academic affairs and Adam student affairs and that uh, brought us together. And Adam, when I hooked up with Adam, he was already doing, you know, working on the same things that we were, were thinking about. And it's been a, I think one of the uh, things that has come out of uh, our having to just change our thinking with responding to COVID is to just reach out across and work with people we haven't worked closely with because we have our skills matched to solve a problem. And so a lot of, I think, hierarchy kind of broke down, at least on our campus. And that was a good thing in terms of addressing these problems. I think that's a really, that's a, a theme we've heard, um, Scott, kind of throughout our conversations um, in our podcast, because we've been doing this pretty much um, all of COVID. And, and that idea that, you know, we're really having to shift, you know, our, our traditional silos, right, in higher education, they just don't work. And we've known that for a long time, but but COVID seemed to somehow break down those those barriers in some really um, new and exciting ways. I, I think for um, for the world of higher ed. So so you kind of each separately were working on the same solution, right? Like the, that we need to come to figure out how we're going to support faculty, staff, and our students as we move into this fall. Outside of what are the modalities of our learning going to be, and, and those important things um, that, that we certainly need to have in place. And, and I loved the conversation that we all had earlier. You were sort of talking about this was kind of organic in a way, right? Um, it wasn't, um, for those of us who are Southern Association institutions, it wasn't a quality enhancement plan that, you know, somebody said, this is our 10-year plan to improve student learning outcomes. It, it really sort of grew from this desire um, to address these concerns. And um, Adam, can you just, or anybody, can you just kind of elaborate on that a little bit more? Because I, I really loved when you talked about sort of where it grew from and how it's going. Um, yeah, sure. So when when uh, Dean Gronard and I first met, um, we kind of uh, <laughs> stared at each other and said, well, now we, we know the problem um, and we're not quite sure what to do with that. Um, and so we enlisted we were at that time thinking about all the traditional things I think we, we uh, normally go to in higher ed, which is, hey, we should form a committee. We should, you know, have a task force to work on this. And, and instead, we tried something um, relatively new and novel as we reached out to, we have an entrepreneurial center here on campus. And they, um, they um, have a lot of resources and information from a, from a design think perspective. So they use empathetic interviewing to create Iterative design, um, mostly mostly out of uh, for business uh, business students at our at our business school, um, but they uh, we reached out to them and said, hey, we could use some brainstorming ideas to get some solutions around this. And so we ran a comprehensive uh, design think process with over over 50, 50 to seventy members of the community, and it it's really grounded in empathetic interviewing and and kind of reaching out to folks. Um, and, and idea making. And so we, um, through that process, came up with some, some, I, some ideas um, of, of what, what kind of a, what a solution or set of solutions would be to bring the campus back together as we, as we navigate it into fall. And so thereafter, we kind of, again, we're faced with another issue, which is, well, now we have all these recommendations, someone should really do something about this. Um, and we put together a team that was 
um, largely members of that design think process that were highly motivated um, to, to put some of these things into, into practice. And, and that has really been the, the team, and it's about 30 people or so, uh, faculty, staff, and students that have manifested all of these kind of initiatives that we're talking about here today. Um, the part I love about it is that it is, it is not a formalized committee. There's no name to it. Uh, there's no subcommittees. There's no chair. Um, and so it's almost, uh, it's so, you know, in the era where we're centralizing everything and trying to make it um, kind of a one-stop shop on campus, this is almost the, the opposite in the sense that it's, it's, um, it's all over campus. It touches every corner of campus. So uh, in, in some ways, that's kind of a beautiful outcome of all of this is I normally would have assigned a, okay, we need a chair, we need a co-chair, we need a task force, we need a committee. And um, this has been quite the opposite. That's really amazing. Cause I think we're also used to that structure in higher education, right? What's, who's our tiger team? Um, I feel like I've, you know, participated in so many of those. So then, so you, and I really love tapping into these resources that exist at your institution, right? Or we have this entrepreneur program where they're doing this kind of um, in, inventive work. So what became then, you, you had spoken about these pillars that were sort of part of the program. And I'm, I'm using these terms and they're very formal. And I don't know if you all are being that formal in your language, but um, would love to have you share that with us. Sure. And so one, one, one of those uh, pillars, uh, I suppose, is, a, is the physical space. So the, the campus itself. Um, and recognizing that sometimes our campus structures, uh, the physical campus structures are, uh, can themselves be stressful, um, stressful to navigate, um, harsh corners. Uh, they're not really designed with kind of a humanistic approach um, uh, to architecture design. So understanding we can't build buildings and, and tear buildings down. We started, um, we started implementing and creating some um, some spaces on campus that were, were designed specifically for contemplation and meditation and mindfulness. And we have, we have three of them now. Um, and we have some outdoor spaces that are coming online to do the same thing, including a, a labyrinth and a rock garden. Um, and so that is, again, when we talk about using existing structures, these are all, these are all spaces that were effectively donated by the departments that own them. Um, and then we did a lot of uh, kind of, um, budget shopping for lamps and, and yoga mats and, and all that stuff. And so, and art to put on the walls. Um, so that's pillar one, uh, you know, pillar two, and, and Dimitri can talk about this is we've been providing training to students, faculty, and staff on what trauma-informed care is um, in, the, in the hopes that we could provide that information so that people come back with an empathetic human-centered approach in mind. So that's another major, major, major pillar um, and then the final thing is we've been really, we've been looking on access to resources. So our existing resources, our counseling services office, and trying to break down barriers to accessing those, um, not only for students, but for faculty and staff who oftentimes aren't aware of, I'm sure a lot of campuses have like an employee assistance program or something like that. But what we found through, even just through those interviews and talking to people is people didn't know it existed. Um, and so, again, trying to pump messaging out that's specific to faculty and staff is really important. So that's those are kind of the major the concepts that are that are coming out of this right now. Awesome. I think that's a really lovely transition. Dimitri, can you 
um, share with us sort of the trauma-informed approach. And it, it might be helpful to kind of give a, a quick definition of what you mean by that too. Cause I know sometimes we all come from different places, right? And that may be a new concept or maybe a concept that we have one idea of and you're doing it very differently there. So. Sure, thank you, Meg. So thanks again for having us and welcome to everybody who's joined. Um, so I wanna first, if okay with you, sort of ground this, this, uh, this the answer to your question in some of the data that we have um, that we've collected from the campus community. So to extend um, Adam and Scott's uh, report um, around what are our students experiencing as they uh, contemplate returning to campus after this 18 month hiatus, that was um, less than a vacation, if you will. Um, what we found actually, and this is not unique to our data, we found that primarily faculty and staff alone, some students, but primarily faculty and staff experienced this period, not just as stressful or distressing, but also as potentially traumatic. Actually, 38% of those we surveyed over the course of the last, uh, what was in April and May primarily, March, April, and May, faculty and staff and some students, 38% reported uh, experiencing this pandemic as traumatic in nature. We actually used a validated screener um, to assess that particular construct. Um, and that was somewhat surprising to us. Uh, we didn't expect necessarily to find upwards to 40% um, of our uh, faculty, staff, and students um, reporting a, a, a sort of traumatic stress as a result of the pandemic. Um, and when I say traumatic stress, I mean actually screen positive for post-traumatic stress disorder. So not only was this a stressful time for people, but it was actually potentially traumatic um, for a portion, and not a small portion, but a portion um, of, our, of our campus community. So knowing that, um, and Adam and I had, uh, I had uh, um, done some training for Adam's staff on trauma-informed care, oh, several years back. Um, so knowing what we knew about the potential for this experience to be not only stressful, but actually traumatic, we thought using the framework of trauma-informed care might be useful in welcoming students and, and faculty and staff alike back to the, to the campus, at least at the physical level um, this fall. So we, uh, we developed a training that, uh, that we provide, as Adam says, to, uh, uh, to all any unit who's interested in receiving this training. It's only uh, 60 to 90 minutes in length, but we are happy to provide follow-up support, and we certainly offer resources that can um, extend the uh, sort of the services that, that we're offering, at least the, um, the services in principle that we're identifying. Um, we provide this across our units, and what we do is we first and foremost um, define what is this term trauma? Because it's used um, commonly, but uh, the understanding of the definition might be um, not fully grasped. So we, we try to define the term trauma for folks, um, letting people know again that, of course, this has been stressful. Um, it might not be stressful for everybody, but a good portion of people have experienced this, this, uh, this time period is stressful, particularly vulnerable folks. And students do really um, fall under a classification of vulnerability, according to my reading. Um, because of you know, just an uncertain period of life. Um, it's a time when there's a lot of excitement, but there's a lot, also a lot of um, visions toward the future and uh, visions of the future. And the future is very, very uncertain these days. So it's a, these are a vulnerable, it's a vulnerable sort of um, constituent group. Okay, so what is, uh, so trauma could be experienced among our students and some faculty and staff. What is it? 
And how could we respond in our various roles in a way that would potentially cushion the return to campus, enhance the welcoming feel of our campus and our campus community, reinforce the, the, the connections that were there in the past or forge new connections. So, so what is trauma-informed care as a, uh, say, as a faculty, staff, student service provider, whatever? It's first and foremost, the recognition of, of what trauma is and what are the consequences of trauma? How does it manifest? Well, people are going to be reluctant perhaps to re-engage in, um, in social uh, interactions uh, because it's a, um, well, it's a place of supposed danger these days based on the pandemic. And two, they, their, their social muscles are a little atrophied. Um, they're just, you know, for, for many of us, are, we're just not really accustomed now or used to it, um, to used to engaging physically. So what is it? Knowing what trauma is, what are, how do people respond to it? And then how can I, as a service provider or an, or an educator, um, implement certain strategies that enhance um, the, uh, uh, the functioning of those I'm serving, um, help them overcome perhaps the effects of trauma. So for instance, in the classroom, what could, what could this look like? Um, well, we're asking, we're asking folks to, um, acknowledge, uh, the experience of the last, the last 18 months, potentially, um, invite student reports, uh, verbal or, or written, uh, of the past 18 months, if it's, if it's, uh, um, relevant for the classroom, uh, provide flexibility with accountability, being a warm demander is the term that's oftentimes used. So there are a number of different strategies that we introduce to faculty that they could then translate into their classroom management, if you will, or, or into their andragogy. Um, again, just to enhance um, the sense of community, a sense of welcome back uh, to campus and to cushion the return, which for not for everybody, but for some, might be a little bit stressful and might even be a trigger for of uh, for the experience of a trigger of the trauma that they may have experienced during the pandemic. Right. This is, you know, it's so interesting, Dimitri, because I feel like, you know, you're saying these things um, about three or four weeks ago, we had a panel of students on and the one thing they talked about. So these were college students across the U S was this feeling of uncertainty and how, mm-hmm absolutely dissettling that was um, and how they wanted, we, we asked them, you know, if you can tell your faculty and staff that you interact with at your institutions, anything, you know, what would you want them to know? Um, and, and one of the things they brought up was that how very dissettling the uncertainty of the future was um, for them, that they, they didn't know, were they going to be able to stay in school? Were they going to have to go back home? Was their family going to get sick? I mean, just all of these exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. And then we think about, you know, I work at a community college and then we compound onto that, you know, students who may be struggling financially or not, you know, have adequate food resources. I mean, the layers are caring for family members. I mean, the layers just get thicker and thicker and thicker. Really well said. If I could just respond briefly to that, Meg, I think that's that's really helpful to hear one. Um, And and two, a, a few thoughts come to mind. So one, I think just being able to name the, the experience mm-hmm. and potentially even its effects. I mean, we know in a trauma-informed context, just being able to name the experience and its potential effects 
can be very helpful in in claiming one space, in being more present uh, to the the to whatever is happening in, in in the current in the current moment. So I think it's really helpful to hear students share that with you. Um, that's a and that's a message that, that you know we hypothesize is or that's something that we hypothesize is happening. But it's really helpful to hear um, to hear it um, identified so concretely. And secondly, to hear you identify also the sort of the, the universe of possible adverse or traumatic experience experiences that students have encountered over the past 18 months um, is helpful. And again, really aligns with, well, our data and also what we, would, what we would predict. So students have, and many of us have encountered health risks, health risks have um, uh, encountered deaths in our families or, or, or friends, mm-hmm. financial um, instability, or uncertainty, social isolation, community uh, connection disruption, um, et cetera. All these are predictors of mental health related challenges and potentially could represent traumatic experience. So, so, so um, helpful to hear that. And again, I think naming and claiming it is, is, is one form of, of uh, a tr- if you, one manifestation of trauma-informed care, if you will. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Dimitri. And that's something we can do in lots of different ways, right? With with our interactions with students, whether you're a faculty member or a staff member. Adam, you want to share something, I think. Yeah, the other the other major component that we try to provide in these in these workshops um, is is we provide folks with this data um, and to develop or to hopefully develop empathy and awareness. And what we like to say is. Um, uh, everybody's showing up with something at this point in time, right? Um, and so we, we hope one of the outcomes of these workshops, and again, they're, they're really punchy, one hour long um, sessions. We, we often find an hour insufficient um, because, because, you know, interestingly, the, the attendees, I think it's a, a somewhat a cathartic experience for them as well. And so even if we did nothing else but, but say, here's what our data shows, uh, here's what trauma is, here's what stress and distress and burnout is, what do you all think? I'd imagine that our faculty, staff, and students would just resonate with the opportunity to, to talk about that. Um, so there's nothing, there's nothing novel about this approach. Um, someone asked in one of the workshops earlier this week is, okay, you've presented a lot of science and techn- you know, all this data. What's the one thing I can take away from this? I'm like, just care for, for each other. Um, and it seems so simple. Um, but you know, when you get that, when you get that email from the colleague, that's in all caps, maybe just take the deep pause before you respond. Or um, if you get a, if you get a, a student that normally has a baseline of very um, kind of uh, subdued behavior, and then you see an elevated uh, of student experience, then maybe think about some of this stuff and, mm-hmm. before you respond. Um, and the circling back around to one of Scott's comments earlier, what we did hear from students as we came into the fall is they were so um, appreciative of our faculty and how flexible they were and kind of we're all in this together. They, they were worried about, our, is that going away? Um, and so we're trying to kind of take that momentum and just build it into kind of the, the structures and the ethos of the campus, which is, um, I'm not saying it's not uh, not easy, but we all go back to our pre-existing behaviors and we forget about this stuff. Sure. So I think that, Adam, is such an important point that you make that, that we're weaving in this changed behavior in a way, right? I mean, how many of us were in, I mean, I, 
educational experiences, you know, the classic look to your left, look to your right. Scott, I don't mean to pick on science people, right? But isn't this like notorious organic chemistry? Look to your left, look to your right. None of, you know, half those people won't be here, but at the end of the semester kind of thing. And to say, you know, we're an institution that really cares about you and everything I read, the research goes back to how important that is um, there was a great piece um, just this week in Diverse Issues in Higher Education about um, some long-term research showing students need to know that they uh, matter, um, that they belong at our institutions, um, and that they're cared for. And I know that's hard at large institutions, right? I've worked at all kinds, so it's real easy when they're only like a couple, you can go grab them by the ear and say, I care about you. Um, but it's much harder at, at our larger schools. Dimitri, what did just to just to amplify um, sort of that signal, I, I I think it's just really well said, Adam Adam and Meg. We know the number one predictor of recovery from adversity is social connection, hmm. meaningful and rich social connection. I mean, it shows up in the literature, um, you know, uh, ubiquitously. So, um, can we as uh, as a campus? It's a simple it's a simple message, but not always easy to implement. Um, you know, can we actually elevate the relationships that we have with one another um, and with our students? You know, can we can we not just give um, s- some lip service to this notion of caring, but actually operationalize um, that notion in our relationships with each other? Um, and with our students. And um, I, it's, a, it's a difficult time to do that. We're all stressed. We're all asked to do more with less um, to some extent. Um, at the same time, it gives back um, multifold, not only to the, to the student or the colleague who's receiving that extra ear or that, um, uh, the, the extra accommodation, um, if you will, uh, not in any way that undermines our mission or our standards, but uh, a little flexibility um, goes a long way. A, a little time goes a long way, but it actually, from my vantage point anyway, it really, it really recharges my batteries um, and reinforces, you know, why I'm, why am I uh, working in, in higher ed? Oh, in part because I want to be generative um, and I want to be supportive of, of students who are coming up. So, really well said on your part, Scott. You've got something to share. Yeah, I, and I wanted to kind of bring in also the contrast that our students were seeing and that institutionally, I think it's true pretty much across America, everyone wanted to come back in the fall. And there was this drive of excitement. We're going to be doing all the things you used to do. And um, that was leaving behind uh, students and faculty and staff who really were still living the life of COVID. And programs that are coming together uh, and and Adam has been leading on are so critical so that we can... uh, as we go back into hopefully better situations with uh, in terms of teaching, that we also recognize and honor the people who had real challenges during the year. And as Adam uh, alluded to, uh, a lot of our students said, I really hope the the faculty and staff will be nice to us in the fall like they were during uh, when we were working remotely. You know, they really appreciated that our uh, faculty were empathetic to their challenges. They didn't want that to go away. Mm-hmm. And, and Scott, interesting that you say that because the other thing that our student panel said, um, and they repeated this in a number of ways, they wanted faculty and staff to know that um, that they did not like the language of returning to normal 
that they felt like that absolutely erased everything that they had experienced, that they didn't feel normal. Um, and, and so I think that language you're using is just so, so important. Um, and, and, and our students really appreciate, you know, when, when they hear our, our leadership at our institutions kind of reiterating those messages. And one thing that, you know, we get all, we're, we're so focused on, on COVID response, but also remembering that a lot of social things, social movements occurred while we were on our COVID hiatus and uh, the, you know, uh, the uh, election, which was very divisive for the country and our students, uh, Black Lives Matter movement, all happened while we were away, essentially, uh, and now the students are coming back and yet return to normal. Well, those things also happen along with all of COVID. So uh, that the word that was coming up here a little bit layered on, on layer of layer of, of change that they had to experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, that's really important to remember. There, there's been so much. Sometimes it's, you know, that, that we have to, that we've experienced the shared in this past year. Well, I, I, want to make sure we're honoring our time. And I do want to get to these questions because Adam, you really inspired um, these last couple of questions in particular. But, you know, if institutions, I, I want our, our listeners to know that, you know, how can we, I'm listening in and I'm thinking, yes, I really want to do some of this on my own campus. Um, and any recommendations or how to's, you know, you talked about how your leadership team was organized. Um, how much is this effort costing? Um, you know, you shared us with us kind of where the impetus originated from, um, but just any words of advice or recommendations for our listening audience? Um, yeah, uh, so I think probably the, when I look back um, of how we got here, one of the, one of the lessons I um, uh, take away from it is, you know, just kind of trusting the process and letting that guide you rather than having some sort of fixed outcome that you're looking for. Um, and then secondarily, how you organize a team around this is find people that are inspired to do the same thing that you're doing and that care deeply about your campus community and just start talking. Like don't, you know, I think one thing that I learned is and I'm a very type A, there needs to be a spreadsheet and there's, there's tasks on it. Um, but even just individually, I learned through this process is that we just needed, we needed almost a month in this group to kind of get comfortable with each other, just talking about what the campus would look like if it had this at the center. And we're still in that dialogue and conversation. Um, but I guess I would, and, and I guess the secondary thing is, uh, don't ask for permission. <laughs> Just start doing it. Um, and we we that was another lesson learned because I think sometimes, especially I'm I'm new to UWM, I'm kind of looking around going, okay, who's gonna tell me what to do? Um, and this was just a, you know, I found a couple of people that were really inspiring, including uh, Scott and Dimitri, and I thought we just got to keep moving in this direction. And um one foot in front of the other just really helps. Um, the, the genius behind all of this, and it's not something that I, that anybody in this call thought of, is that it's, it takes a lot of resources and person energy, but it's, it's been largely to this point, a zero cost operation. It's all, we found a lot of folks on the campus that if we reach out to them and say, Hey, we're looking for a community space. What do you think? And like the library said, we've got a, we've got an old uh, where the the archives used to be it's a it's a room is centrally located 
it's yours if you want it. And we're like, yep, we'll take it. Um, and then, and so stuff like that, I think you'll find that your campus community probably has a lot of folks that are willing to engage with it. If you just start that, someone called it the other day, it's the snowball effect. You just start the snowball rolling and then all of a sudden it starts picking up people and trees and along the way. Um, and that's been, that's been somewhat, it's the, it's the, frankly, from my perspective, the outcomes are great, but the coolest part about this is that we've, we've developed this little like community cohort of folks that are, that are now just um, somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, kind of like ambassadors for this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been, that's been really, really exciting, at least for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And amazing because we often think of initiatives as costing, you know, oh, Right. Like it's, it's not, I can't repl- replicate that at my institution because I don't have any, um, but yeah, you can buy yoga mats at five below. I don't know if y'all have that where yeah. you are. And um, yes, we've even discovered that elementary school students don't really need the whole thing. You chop it in half. You got two for the, <laughs> so, um, yeah, really. And I love this idea that, that you're talking about using your physical space as well. Because one of the conversations we've had a lot coming out of our year uh, plus of being at home is how much time we now spend outside as a, as a, and, and how helpful that has been for our mental health. And I think about, you know, one of the beautiful things about being at a multi-building college campus, right, is that you have to move between the spaces mm. and, um, and what does that do for our mental, our mental health? Dimitri, mm. you want to share something? Yeah, I, yeah. What you and Adam are sharing kind of just uh, sparks a quick thought, and I, I, I'm trying to, I'm kind of reflecting on why is it that that so many of campus pers- camp, of our campus personnel have contributed to this effort and done mm-hmm. so with with great enthusiasm. There was there was no arm twisting here, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think I think part of it. Um, is, I mean, there are a number of, I'm sure, variables, but I think the biggest one, you, you use the term reflection on mental health and what promotes our mental health. I think, at least in our campus, um, what I'm seeing is a, um, an attunement or a great, greater insight into this idea of you know, what promotes well-being for myself, for others, um, and um, how can I actually engage in those activities or behaviors that that promote well-being? And so there's been uh, perhaps this was a time of self-reflection. I don't know, but I think that there's a little bit of a moment, momentum around the idea of, for lack of a better term, wellness or self-care. You know, we're all still very committed to com- to completing the you know the the tasks at hand and to um, honoring our educative mission, our student services mission. Um, but I think we're asking ourselves. Um, can we add something, particularly during this difficult time, this crisis, which also provides an opportunity here for some reflection? Can we add something, a, a different, another sort of another perspective that, or another layer, to use Scott's term, that can really help us meet the challenge of this time? And uh, so I think people are excited to be reflecting on this concept of resilience, or wellness, or post-traumatic growth, or self-care. What does it mean for myself? What does it mean for my work? What does it mean for my community? So those of us who've been involved in this work, you know, I think we're 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 excited about it in part because it um, it really it's it's a manifestation of our some of our deepest values. You know, how can I bring myself fully to my work um, and not be just a technician, uh, but but be a, a truly engaged provider, or professional, or educator, whatever the term might be. 
Dimitri, I just think what you've hit, said is so critically important because I think about my my students and at the end, when I boil down my 20 years right in higher ed, it's all about helping students to be successful, to meet those goals they set for themselves. And more and more I've come to find if I cannot help them find a place of well-being, of yes. wellness, they cannot be successful. I mean, that right. is just an Adam, you want to say something about that? Yeah, I love I love the language you're using. And I would imagine a lot of folks on this call, they if you ask them, they'd say, well, you know, students first, that's my first and primary mission at this institution. My my kind of it's not a pushback necessarily, but at least what we've been providing in this in this workshop is you got to take care of yourself too. Right. And I think a lot of student services professionals and faculty that um that look at their work as as service work and that that we kind of at least in higher ed, sometimes just have to do a, work a lot to make that happen. I think it's resonating with folks a lot when we're talking about this work as a kind of a holistic approach rather than just saying this is a student wellness program, right? It's it's more about the kind of the entire the entire system. And so, again, the workshop we talk about self care techniques, but we also talk about them as it relates to faculty and staff because. You can't show up with your full self unless you're taking care of, of you. Um, and I think that's, I think that might be for a lot of the cohorts that have gone through this, the first time that they've heard that from the institution, not in a way that is in an, e in an email or something like that. So that's also been resonating with a lot of folks. I'll be really interested to hear, you know, as you do follow up to this work, what your faculty and staff, because one of the conversations we've had a lot on this podcast have been about folks not feeling valued, you know, that they have worked harder than they have ever worked and given more to students than they have ever given in 18 months. And that there's just this real sense that that hasn't been institutionally valued at many places. Certainly it has at many institutions, but um, so to, to have you say, you know, we have these cohorts going through and, and we're giving them this space to say, you've got to take care of yourself to be able to keep doing on this important work and we value you in that. Um, I, I would be fascinated to like do a, a morale kind of survey or something like that and, and hear what folks have to say. Um, we have about three minutes left on our call. So I wanna honor um, our time certainly and, you, and, and the generous time that you've given us today. Any kind of last words or for our listening audience, any questions you wanna make sure Gina's um, said yes and thank you. So clearly um, the words you're saying are really resonating with, with folks listening in today. But as we wrap up, I just want to give you that space to kind of send us off with any wise words, recommendations. We'll see if anybody has any questions. Adam, and then we'll hit Scott. And then no, I'm going to let Scott go first. Oh, go. I was going to say uh, back to something Adam has had brought up earlier is when we started looking at who to get engaged in this, one thing we did is we looked outside the people who were always tapped to do things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that did a couple of things. It got people with energy uh, who weren't already stretched out and two got new ideas because an issue with always having the same group of people in different committees do things, it doesn't foster new ideas. So as a how-to, look to people who are outside the inner circle to drive these things. Great advice, Scott. Adam. Yeah, the final thing I would say is that, um, you know, this is 
this, I hope that folks are on this call that are that are just as impassioned about this work as we are, because this is an institutional imperative beyond anything that 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 I've worked for or with in this role. And so, if you if you hear nothing from us today, is to know that the work one, the work that you do absolutely matters, and and you matter within that. Um, but two, that we are resources. And so you can reach out to any one of us individually. If we're not the answer, we'll find you the answer. Um, we don't have all of those, but we definitely, because that's the other great thing about this is that we're still figuring it out. So give yourself the patience and grace to do that as well. Right. Wise words. And Dimitri. Uh, just beautiful. Adam, <laughs> Adam, as, per usual, um, just hit it on the head. First thing I would say is that, you know, agreed fully, we, we would be happy to be resources. We don't have answers. We have our experiences that we can share and perhaps those will be helpful or resonate. And the second thing I would say is I've been absolutely amazed at how well this work has been received, not only with the inner circle of those who are, you know, those who are doing it and getting motivated, for it, but also for those that we have been sharing these insights with, sharing the trainings with, for instance, exceptionally well received by multiple units across diverse context. And I think um, I think the community at large with the campus community in particular is just thirsty for, for these types of messages to honor and claim and name what's taking place, what has taken place uh, on these layered levels, as Scott mentioned, and then to start um, to start brainstorming, well, what are some solutions starting with the self and emanating outward? So thank you for the opportunity to share, share our experience with you, Meg. It's been a pleasure. Gosh, I am so, so honored to have all three of you take your time today. I mean, I, I, I feel like you know, your work is just so important. And I hope that we see these conversations begin to be replicated across institutions. Um, and, and interestingly enough, um, Anne wanted to ask if you might share um, your 60 to 90 minute um, tra trauma-informed trainings. Um, and she says, great presentation. Thank you all so, so much, um, so validating. And Jennifer says, I've not had a Zoom call uh, fly by so fast due to engaging topic conversation and great facilitation and peace be with you. So um, I think that that's such an important message for um, for you all to hear. So I have um, made sure that we'll, we'll share with everyone your, um, campus website. And I know, Adam, you've shared that that's something that's, you know, definitely growing. Um, and, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll make sure that everyone gets that as well as the, the chronicle piece um, where you all are mentioned um, too. So thank you all um, very much. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. We hope there's moments for rest, renewal, and peace for all of us. Um, and thank you gentlemen so much for your time today. I'm really, really, truly grateful. Thank you, Meg. Appreciate it. Thanks, Meg. My pleasure. Yep. Thank you, Meg. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.